0: us pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance that we've got to gather and to worship you. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word, to see what it is that you have been doing in history, what it is that you have been doing in your church, and uh, how it is that we fit into all of that. And so, God, as we take this time now and we go back to the book of Acts and look at the first church, God, help us to see how it is that we can fashion and shape who we are as a church and who we are as people, To the lives of those early Christians who put everything on the line for the cause of the good news of Jesus, Uh, open our hearts, open our minds, and open our ears that we might hear what you have in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So last week, uh, Deidre and I were in Florida. Her company does an annual conference, and it's fun for me because as a pastor, I get to spend some time during the days and in the evenings. Visiting with some of the leading financial minds in the country. I mean, these are the people that manage billions of dollars. And everything is on the stake for, uh, at stake for them to understand where it is as a country that we're going. And they're brilliant men and women. And so much of it translates in ways that are large and small back to the local church. And so it's a time, it's a conference every year I really look forward to going to. But you know what's even better than that is coming home. It is so much better to come back and to be here. It is good to be home today. Uh, we're back in Acts. If you've got the Acts journal, and if you don't, we still have some left. We're in page 46, chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And we're, t- we're entering into this section of the book of Acts that in my mind, and you've heard me say this before, reads like an incredible movie. My mind just kind of spins that way. When I read the Bible... There are passages in it that come so much alive that I, I almost can see the people and hear their voices as this action is taking place. Because it isn't a fairy tale. It isn't a storybook. It's God's history that he recorded in his word. And what we're going to cover the next few weeks really works like, like a movie. I and mean, so if your brain spins that way, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to let it go. There's a guy named Stan Lee, and you've heard me talk about acts reading like a Marvel movie. Well, Stan Lee is the guy that came up with the Marvel comic series and all the movies. And he had a couple of thoughts on people that really drove everything that he did with the Marvel franchise. One of them was, he said, people need to believe that there are superheroes. We need to believe that there are superheroes, that there are people out there that stand for goodness, that that are able to do things that we can't do, that that stand behind and for and in front of all of us. And he said, but along with that, everybody wants to be a superhero. And he understood that the the way that we were wired is that we've got something in us that wants to be a little bit of something extra special. And that's why that franchise is, is so popular. Because we get to see these superheroes and then we get to we get to identify and say, well, if I can only be a little bit of that or a little bit of one of the other ones. Well, the book of Acts has got some incredible superheroes in it. And we're going to see some action that starts today that very much reads like a Marvel movie. There's good guys, there's bad guys, and there's surprising guys. And so we're going to be in Acts, the 8th chapter, starting in verse 4. But before we get there, i got to say thank you. You uh, you pulled something off on me last week while I was away, and you need to know how grateful I am. Uh, a lot of you filled out those sheep uh, cutouts, and I got video of those going into the front yard at our house. And then the rain was coming, so then I walked into the office, and they had put them in the hallway and on the doors. And thank you for the things that you said and just the thoughts that you relayed. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret. Being a pastor isn't always easy. Sometimes being a pastor is really, really hard. And one of the things, honestly, that I, I struggle with, and, and COVID hasn't helped with us in churches anywhere. COVID has made everything so incredibly difficult. We made that quick transition to try to bring everything in online, and then they said we could come and worship back in person. And some people came back and some people didn't. And, and it doesn't take very long to start to wonder if what we're doing really matters. If what we're doing really matters to people. And so that small handful of critical voices that out there can be really, really loud. Because words hurt. But those things that you filled out last week that I got when I got back, they mean the world to me. I just can't tell you how much. Um, It's nice to know that what we're doing is important to you, and it's nice to know that who we are and who we're becoming matters to you. And so from the bottom of my heart, thank you for doing that. It is greatly appreciated. Last week, then I would say, go God, thank you for you, because you're the ones that did it, so thank you. Last week, Brian shared, He I don't know if he was particularly excited, probably like Scott wasn't particularly excited, but they were both willing to step up, and Brian shared some heavy stuff, some tough stuff. The passage started talking about persecution. And one of the questions is, are you ready if persecution were to come? And part of what he shared that was so just got to our hearts is this, this idea of when we're pressed with what we think is ours in the reality that nothing really is. How much of what we think is, is really our stuff is really our stuff at all? And, and the point that he made was nothing, not even our children are truly ours. And that's a hard thing to grasp. That's a a mature Christian thing to grasp. And then you get into persecution. Because that's what's happening in Acts now. We're going here. And, And sometimes you say, well, if somebody's being mean to us, you're being persecuted. No, probably not. But the Bible's got some interesting things to say about persecution. So before we get into the action of Acts, I want to ask you a couple questions. How many of you, pray by a show of hands now, in all seriousness... How many of you pray daily to be persecuted for your faith? Yes, exactly as many in the first service. And somebody in the back's going, no way. No, we, we're not so likely to pray for persecution, are we? If you're watching this online, do you wake up in the morning and do you start your day saying, God, I would, I would love nothing more than the privilege of being persecuted for my faith in Jesus? And everybody online going, nope, I don't start my day that way. It sounds crazy to us because in America, the religion that we've been taught, the Christianity that we've been shown, we're much more likely to pray asking for God's protection than to pray for the privilege of being persecuted. And yet if we take the Bible seriously, and we do and we should, what the Bible says is that we should pray for, we should invite and we should welcome persecution when it is God who allows us to face it. And yet in our minds, praying for persecution is just plain crazy. Do you really think we should welcome persecution rather than to pray for protection and safety? Not surprisingly, Jesus was very, very, very clear on the matter. If you've got your Bible, flip it to Acts uh, Matthew 5, verse 10. We're going to read it, three verses. It's the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the Beatitudes. He's got all these blessings. And the last one, last two are this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Righteousness sake is when you're persecuted for doing something for God. In God's benefit, to God's favor, standing for God in some way. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That sounds crazy. But Cindy, a few weeks ago, she taught us what we're supposed to do when you hear the word rejoice, right? Do you remember what it was? Do you, can you imagine doing woo about being persecuted? That's just, that seems crazy. And yet that's what the Bible says. They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted Jesus. She's absolutely right that we should celebrate when we hear the word rejoice. But the idea of rejoicing for persecution, that just seems, that seems crazy. Now, persecution, understand, Jesus is talking about, about real persecution, not judging or accusing or condemning other people or other believers. No, our job is to love people. Persecution is what happens from the outside, or at least it's supposed to. And yet we should welcome it. We should pray for it. Most of all, we should be prepared for it. And so persecution throughout Christian history, that's been a common thing. A lot of people have been persecuted for their faith. Those of us who live in America today, unless you have served as a missionary in a culture that is hostile, where there's another religion who is officially in charge, that's hostile to Christianity, you probably haven't really been persecuted. Persecution isn't very common in the U.S., We've really never known it. But if we want to be like these people in countries where persecution is a common thing, we need to be ready. What does that mean? We need to know our Bible, not just what someone says about it. We need to know it personally. We need to read it and memorize it and know what's there. We need to come to a personal understanding of God's Word for us. We need to be a part of a church. We need to connect to ourselves. We need to give to, with our time and our talents and our treasures, a community of faith, a family of faith, that we're a part of, that helps us to grow together so that we'll be ready for that day if persecution were to happen. And America's changing and the world is changing. And persecution may not be something that happens to other people somewhere else. Persecution may be something that gets up close and personal for us. But persecution isn't easy. To be persecuted, it isn't fun. It hurts. And there's always that threat that the At the far end of it that the persecution ends in martyrdom and you end up giving your life for your faith. And I wonder how many of us have a faith that is so deep that we would willingly and knowingly walk to our death here on earth for our faith in Jesus. We just studied Stephen. That's what he did. Stephen continued to preach the good news of Jesus and asked them to forgive, ask God to forgive the people who were killing him up until the moment of his death. Is our faith deep enough that we're ready for that? There was a thing in the early 1900s called the Boxer Rebellion in China. And a group of insurgents took over the country and they started just running rampant over over the Chinese countryside. And there was more than 100,000 people that were killed. Many of them were Chinese Christians and foreign missionaries. And it was really the beginning of a long, more than a century now, of Chinese persecution of the Christian church. This is really where it began. And the ones that they didn't kill, they scattered. And there was a lot of mission outposts prior to this. Christianity was actually on the move. And that was what bothered and frustrated some of these people, is that Christianity was beginning to get a foothold among the people. And so they set out to destroy it, to crush it, to completely knock it flat. And a lot of these mission outposts included students, where they went to school and they learned about the regular things you learn about school, but you also learn about Jesus. And these insurgents captured one of these mission posts, and it's been recorded in a number of places. There was a hundred students that were living there, and they blocked every gate to this compound. There was a big fence. They blocked every gate, and all that they left open was one gate that led out. And they had a group of soldiers that were armed inside and outside the gate. And they laid a big cross on the ground outside the gate leading to the outside world from this, this secure compound, this safe space. What they told the hundred students was this. If you will only walk across that cross, if you will trample that cross to deny your faith, you can go to freedom. You can have your life and you can go to freedom. Simple as that. But if you refuse to, you're going to face a firing squad today. True story. I read it in a number of places. The first seven students walked straight across the cross through the armed soldiers to their freedom. The eighth student was a young girl. She walked up to the cross. She kneeled at the top of it, and she prayed. And she very carefully stood up and walked around the cross to the firing squad, where everyone else in the compound heard a hail of bullets. She walked straight to her death. The 92 students that followed her did the exact same thing. That young girl had the courage to stand for her faith when she was being defied and told not to, that one young girl (laughs) walked into her future, which is an eternity in heaven with Jesus. And 92 of her fellow students followed her. Their faith was that deep and that real. And I wonder that day, who are the ones that were truly free? The seven who walked away having denied Jesus or the 93 that faced the firing squad and met him? And I wonder in our life, when we're faced with that choice, what will we choose? Will we choose what feels like freedom here on earth in this life? Or will we choose freedom that is an eternity in heaven with Jesus? Well, since the Boxer Rebellion, China has run the gamut on their treatment of uh, Christians, more or less persecuting them in large ways and small ways, sometimes tolerating, uh, sometimes elaborate persecutions all the way to killing them. I know a man I met a number of years ago who walked away from a lucrative family business. You all know his last name. And he moved to China to be a missionary. And what he does is create businesses and and launch factories. Because in the businesses, he can share his faith and he he can develop Christian community and grow disciples. And in talking to him, I said, so what's the reality like for Christians in China? He said, it isn't easy, but I'll tell you what. The Christian church is incredibly strong. Well, how can it be incredibly strong when it's underground? He said it's incredibly strong because it's underground. Those people have to choose Jesus every single day. When I was in Haiti and and the time that I've spent with the people of Teen Challenge Haiti, I heard from so many of those people the very same thing. We just have to choose Jesus every single day. That's all we've got. And what I realize is that being a, a Christian in America is incredibly easy. It's incredibly easy. We, we, can, we can go to church from our, from our living rooms. We don't have to go to church. We can just claim the name Christian. There's really nothing that we're forced to do that we don't want to do, even if the Bible tells us to do it. Being a Christian in America is incredibly easy. And, and I wonder, I wonder what God is going to allow to happen in our country So that we too have to make that daily choice to either kneel at the cross or to walk over it into our future. And what will that future be? What will we choose? I'm afraid for Christians who are used to having it easy, there's going to be a lot of people that walk across the cross. Verse 4, Acts 8. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The persecution is happening. Stephen has been put to death. The people are scattered, men and women. They're sent scrambling because their leader Stephen has been stoned to death in front of a crowd of people. A man named Saul, who we later meet to be Paul, is the one who's approving it. These people's lives are clearly in jeopardy. The leaders and the authorities have shown them without any question they're willing to put them to death. And that they do exactly what Stephen did is they go out into everywhere that they're scattered and they preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We know that this persecution is of the serious kind because there's two kinds, really. There's persecution when a government goes in and says they want to quiet the church and, and they get rid of the men. But the real serious persecutions are when they go in and they attack the men and the women and the children. And this is one of those. The women were targets every bit as much as men. And so we've got to talk about persecution in the church for a moment. There's really two different kinds. There's the kind of persecution that happens from the world. That's what happened in China. That's what's happening here. When people start persecuting the church and the people in it, maybe you, they start persecuting the people in the church for what we believe and for our faith. And those kinds of persecutions always tend to grow the church. Because we've got to make the decision of what we stand for. But then there's a different kind of persecution, the kind of persecution that happens from within the church. And maybe you've been a part of a church in the past that had a split right down the middle of the church. Maybe it was a worship war. That's the most common. You know, some people, they like contemporary music. Some people like hymns and some people say, well, your music's from the devil. You can't do that here. And it's funny, but it's not. Because it's Christians going against Christians and saying all kinds of things that are mean and unkind and untrue. And what happens is the church splits down the middle because what people do is they choose a side, not, a side, not Jesus. This is the kind of persecution that's happening to the church as a whole. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed to them the Christ. The very same thing that got Stephen killed. And the crowds with one accord... Paid attention. That's a a theme in this Acts with one accord of one mind. We hear that over and over. Paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Well, of course, there was much joy. There was a mass healing going on. But at this point, there was not mass salvation. There was people who liked the good stuff of God. But that doesn't necessarily mean that even the great stuff like being healed or having demons cast out is enough for people to submit themselves and give their lives to Jesus. But as we're about to find out, there's some people who are only in it for themselves. They're in it for what God can do for them that benefits their life. And they don't really care about anything else. It's what they can gain from the goodness of God. You don't want to be that person. In the world, just like in the church, there are givers and there are takers. And some people are just takers. So now we meet him in verse 9. There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying he himself was somebody great. I love this passage. This is where the Marvel movie starts. It's going to go for a few weeks now. If there's anything that I've learned in my 56 years of life, there's one thing that I've Well, there's two things. I'm quite I'm quite positively, absolutely certain that God is real. Jesus died for our sins and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to faith. I have no question about that. The second thing that I know is, (laughs) if someone has to tell you that they're great, they're probably not. You've met those people. They're very proud of themselves. They love their accomplishments. They always talk about the good that they do. (laughs) I met a guy one time who said, I'm the most humble person you're ever going to meet. Uh-uh. Because there are some people who just think that much of themselves. Simon is one of those guys. Simon is one of those people who said that he himself was somebody great. That's the quote. And what I've learned is that someone has to tell you how amazing they are. if They have to tell you how awesome they are. If they have to tell you what a great person or the great things that they did, they probably aren't going to live up to their own height. Like Simon the magician, they're probably full of hot air and hocus pocus. They might seem like the real deal. But there's very little bit of substance behind the smoke and the hot air. And so I, while this guy Simon, he may have this sleight of hand that had been enough to amaze people. There was really no substance to what he was saying. I had a boss one time and his comment was, some people are all sizzle and no steak. Simon was all sizzle. But he wasn't an unusual character in the Old Testament or the New Testament. We see them as magicians. or We hear the word magi, which is the shortened version of it. And they're scattered throughout the Bible. So this idea of magic is a real thing. It's something in the world. In fact, the Bible prohibits us as Christians from being a part of it. But some of these guys, these showmen, were so good... That they had huge followings. They had people that flocked to see them because they were, they were impressed with what they could do. They were given high regard and places of honor, sometimes power. And they were folks that all came out of the magical, mystical traditions of Egypt. When you go way back to the book of Exodus in the plague of blood, remember Moses. Moses carried a staff. He was a shepherd. And God called him to use that staff in various times and various occasions. Verse 722, the Bible says, after after Moses had turned the water to blood in Egypt, it says the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart became hard. They did the same thing by their secret arts and Pharaoh's heart became hard. It, It isn't that there aren't secret arts out there. There are. The Bible talks about them. And the result of them is that people's hearts are hardened and they are distanced from God. Simon took people's attention and he took their affection and he relished taking them for himself rather than giving glory to God. There are things and people in this world that still separate us from God the same way. Verse 10, it says they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. So he's captured the very most important people, the part of the culture and the society saying this man is the power of God that is called great. That's quite a thing to have said about you. Two thousand years later, we we still get excited about big words and promises. Politicians get elected on big words and promises. And recently, what we've heard over the past few election cycles is the word savior being thrown about as though one man or one woman is going to be the one that saves all of us. There's no politician that's going to save us, folks. There's preachers on TV and scattered throughout the country who make a boatload of money talking God talk. But there's very little substance there. There's very little scripture. There's very little life transformation in Jesus there. They're like Simon. They're full of words and they're short on the spirit. They're happy to take the credit. See, Simon should have known he had to be careful. There should have been something that triggered in his brain when they when they told him that he was the power of God. That, folks, is the Holy Spirit. None of us on our own is the power of God, no matter how much somebody might be impressed. Verse 11, they paid attention to him because for a long time he'd amazed them with his magic. He had a good magic show and he told them to be impressed by him. And we like to be impressed, don't we? It gets back to that idea of we'd like to see superheroes. You know, the thing is, I think that we as a culture love to be impressed by celebrities. We love to be impressed by pro-athletes. We love to be impressed by people who who have made it to a level or who have done something we've never done. And sometimes those things cause us to choose watching them over being a part of church. Because we like to be impressed by people. Verse 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached, these folks have been looking to Simon. When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, all talking about Jesus, not talking at all about himself, they were baptized, both men and women. You've got to understand, Philip is preaching in the midst of a persecution. These people are living in the midst of persecution of Christians, and they hear Philip preaching, and they say, I'm all in. I'll be baptized, I believe. They're jumping headfirst into the people who are going to be persecuted. Something is happening here. See, Philip had a different message. He didn't toot his own horn. He wasn't tell people how awesome he was or how everybody else had their problems. He didn't even tell people why Simon was wrong. He certainly wasn't claiming to be God's anointed or the power of God. Philip was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus and people were responding. And people flocked to him and they were baptized, men and women alike. It's important that you understand this is why we hold Scripture so highly around here. You're going to get it wrong. I'm going to get it wrong. We're going to do our very, very best to follow it. and We're still going to fall short as sinners. But we know God's word is always trustworthy and true. And all that Philip is doing is preaching the good news of Jesus. That's all that we want to do here. And so what's the result? People are flocking to him being baptized. Men and women, and that's a hugely important thing that's noted here. Men and women are both coming to faith and being baptized. What it does not say is children. If all of the families were being baptized, Luke would have recorded that. Men and women were being baptized. This is one of the foundational verses for why we dedicate children, not baptized children. Verse 13, even Simon himself believed. Even Simon the magician believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. That's as far as we're going in the chapter today, but you're going to see a whole lot more next week. Old Simon jumped on board. Simon was an interesting character, and his motives, even at this point, are fair to be questioned. But now what about us? Where are we? Persecution, power, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we've talked about here. So who are you today? Are you a bit like Simon, where you're more concerned about what other people think of you, and what other people say about you, or are you more concerned of what God thinks of you? See, we have to ask ourselves those questions. Are you interested in claiming the title and the identity of Christian because you like the idea of having your sins forgiven and looking forward to the comfort of an eternity in heaven? Or do you live daily in the power of the Holy Spirit who is alive and at work in you? Recognizing that you're a sinner, but understanding that it's by Jesus alone that your sins are forgiven. See, throughout human history, people have done what Stan Lee has done. People have invented stories of gods and goddesses and mythical superheroes that are bigger and better and more powerful than we are, that can do all kinds of things that we only wish that we could do. And as I read through history, I'm pretty convinced for myself that the real superheroes of history are persecuted Christians who stand for their faith. We've seen examples of them on the news in modern day. We've seen persecuted Christians who give their life rather than give up. Their faith in Jesus. Why? It's pretty simple because they allow the real power of God, the real power of God, the Holy Spirit, to live in and to direct and to lead and guide them every single day. And so we've got to ask ourselves who are we? Who am I? Who are you? What do we really believe in? Where do we put our faith? What power do we really believe is out there? Who is God really to you today? Are you clinging to your earthly possessions, your home, your car, your bank account, your investments, maybe spouse or parent or friend or children, as though those things really belong to you? That's what Brian talked about last week when he came to the understanding none of them do. Or do you realize that your money and your spouse or your children or your friends or your church family are all a gracious gift from God and a blessing for us to enjoy, to care for, to pour ourselves into, and to steward for God, only to be given back to him. It's really a matter of, do we understand our place? Would you trample the cross in order to walk away from eternity separated from God? Or would you walk to your persecutors and stand up to a firing squad and step into eternity with your Savior? I have to wonder that day who was really free. Were those seven who walked through the guns over the cross into their earthly freedom, were they the ones who were really free? I'd love to know what the rest of their life turned out like. Or were those 93, the 92 along with that girl, were they the ones who were truly free, who did not deny their faith and stood for Jesus? It was the end of their earthly life, but it was the beginning of their eternal life. And so the, the thing that matters here is that firing squad can take a lot, of, a lot of shapes, a lot of appearances in our life. That firing squad can be a group of people who just get together and decide they're going to rip you apart. That firing squad can be the guys at work who make fun of you for what you believe, mocking you. Because you admit to being a Christian. It could be the criticism of a friend. It could be the confusion of a non-believer at work. It could be an employer or someone else who's an employee with you who makes fun of you because you dare to admit that you go to church on Sunday because you believe in Jesus. The question is, is will you back down to people or will you step up to Jesus? That's really the decision that young lady had to make at the cross. Will you back down to people or will you step up for Jesus? See, being a Christian does not mean that we acknowledge the cross of Christ and walk over it on the way to our freedom. That's not what being a Christian is. Being a Christian means that we kneel at the cross of Christ and we submit our lives to him. And then we choose every day to step to the side and to avoid the the ways of the world, to avoid the sin of our choosing and instead choose life in him, whatever it is that that might mean for us. Does it mean that we're going to be done sinning? No, I wish it did, but it doesn't. But it means that we understand our place and we understand who Jesus is. See, but that choice, that's a decision that we've got to make many times a day, and it's, it's very rarely an easy one. But those decisions come upon us morning, noon, and night. And what do we do with them? Do we even recognize them? See, see, if we don't, we become like Simon, who wants the blessing and the power of God for our own selfish purpose. And that's not really walking as a Christian. See, but God, God doing what he does and being who he is, he gives us the choice to choose him. Just like as a parent, you hope your children love you. But at the end of the day, that they reach an age where they've got to choose to. They've got to choose to love you back. God gives us a choice to choose Him and the power of His Holy Spirit. We get to live the way that we want. That's part of the deal, being on planet Earth. And that choice is either a life filled with ourselves and sin, or a life filled with the very real power of God alive and at work in us. And God lets that choice be ours. the Bible says, choose this day whom you will serve. Who will you serve? Will you walk across the cross to what feels like earthly freedom? Or will you bow down and kneel at the cross for freedom in Jesus? Even if that means that your life doesn't end up going the way that you would want. The Bible says choose this day whom you will serve. It's a choice we've all got to make every single day. And you need to understand as far as this church, as far as the elders, as far as the leadership of this place, we will choose the Lord. We will choose to, we will choose to serve King Jesus. Who will you serve? Let's pray. God, thanks for this passage. Uh, We're going to get to know more about Simon. He's an interesting character. And we're going to get to know more about Philip, and he's an amazing character. And both of them were real. They were real people in history. And you've recorded them in your words so that we can learn from them, so that we can grow from them, so that we can see you and who you are and how you work and the choices that you let us have. But also, when we read about Simon, it's easy to see a little bit of ourselves in that guy. But really what we want is, we want to be people who are more like Philip. We want to be men and women who preach Jesus, not ourselves. Who don't talk about how great we are, but talk about how great Jesus is and how much he loves us. Help us to be those kinds of people. Help us to choose you every day. In Jesus' name, amen.